You may have noticed already that I do love this season of Advent and this month of holy days, including Hanukkah and the solstice and their stories of oil that lasts longer than it should and of the wonder and the mystery found in the longest night. I love this time of waiting and getting ready. Though I will confess on the second day of December, I'm already wishing the futile wish that I had a few more days in December, if you know what I mean. I don't want to wish that. It's not going to happen. And I love and need this season's promise. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Because you know, the darkness around us is deep. That was true 20 years ago when the poet William Stafford wrote that line. And it's certainly true these days. I guess it's always true that there are always forces working against love and against justice. And some days it seems like they have the upper hand. I was on a conference call the other day with clergy from around our area. We were talking about the need we felt to respond in some way to the humanitarian crisis along our southern border, and particularly to the fact that within the last week, our troops fired tear gas across the border at children and their parents who were trying to get into our country. What an image that is. Whatever happened to give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free? On that call, Father Carlos Urbina, who's pastor of St. Mary of the Assumption Parish in Lawrence, he told us how in recent weeks and months his congregation has been praying every Sunday and also on Saturday when they gather for worship for the people who are gathering or making their way toward our border, that that congregation has been being intentional about standing in solidarity with those people. And then Father Carlos told us a story. He told us about how a few years ago he made a trip to the American Southwest, and he walked in the desert there he retraced the steps that his mother had taken many years before when she had come into this country carrying Father Carlos' older brother who was a baby in her arms. And he told us that these days, he said, I have to create hope because somebody else created hope for my mother. And that's the purpose of the vigil this afternoon that I told you about at St. Mary's in Lawrence at 4.30, 
to create hope, to be together brown people and black people and white people, people from the cities and from the suburbs, Protestants and Catholics, Jews and Unitarian Universalists. Together, creating more hope than we can have all on our own. And I don't know about you, but I need this these days. And so I'm going to be there, and I hope you will try to be there too. Our worship theme for this month of December is peace. And we need all the peace we can get, don't we? Most of us could use a little more peace in our daily lives, and certainly our world needs peace. I don't think I'm that unusual. I need peace and quiet pretty much every day. Not all of you need that, I know. And I need time to pray, and I need time to be alone, and I need time for worship. All these things bring me peace. And I need it if I'm going to be of use to anyone else. What about you? What do you need? What brings you peace? You know, sometimes people think that peace comes by withdrawing from the troubles of the world, from pulling down the shades or pulling up the moat or building a bigger wall. But what kind of peace is that? Hiding from the pain and the trouble around us, acting as if it's not really there. You can hold yourself back from the suffering of the world, Franz Kafka wrote. But perhaps this very holding back is the one suffering that you could avoid. There are also those who would seek peace in distraction from the world and in insulating themselves from the world. They might ask if you were talking about doing something to help others, like what Elizabeth named a little while ago. They may say, what can anyone really do? What's going to change? It's better to take care of your own needs and not worry about other people. And these people can be people who think of themselves as spiritual, right? But it seems to me like a kind of spiritual narcissism. And years ago, the prophet Jeremiah was critical of people like this. He said, they have treated the wound of my people carelessly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. I was imagining this for our current day, and I, I'm just making this up, but it's like the person, you know, who cuts you off in the line at the health food store and then turns around and says, Namaste. <laughs> but you're not like this. And if you aspired to be this kind of person, why would you be here? Because to be a person of faith is to be awake, to care as much about others as you do about yourself, to be aware of the distance 
between how the world is and how it could be, how it should be, to be mindful of the hurt around you and mindful of your own limitations and still to keep on asking, what can I do? How can I help? I think you know this is not a peaceful place to live in this tension, right? It's often more frustrating and more demanding and more exhausting. The question in my heart these days is the one that Jeremiah pointed toward so many years ago. How can you have peace when there is no peace? When everybody doesn't have peace? I believe it's possible and I believe it's necessary because if we want to be of use to others, then we do need to know how to do this, how to find peace in the midst of the struggle and the strife. So how do we do this? It seems to me you have to start by jumping into life as best you can. As Outward Bound says, if you can't get out of it, get into it. The way to a deeper peace is not by holding back and trying to insulate yourself, but by diving in. You've seen that bumper sticker that says, if you want peace, work for justice, right? I assume the people who wrote this we're thinking on a global scale. And it's certainly true on that level that there will never be world peace until true justice prevails. But it seems to me it also works on a personal level. That if you want peace in your heart and in your life, then make it your mission to help others. None of us can do everything but do what you can so when you go to bed at night, you can rest assured that you're part of the solution and not part of the problem. Another thing we could do is learn to live in the incompleteness and discomfort of the present moment, to accept our own limitations and the fact that there is much that's beyond our control. Like it says in the serenity prayer, Courage to change what you can, grace to accept what you can't change, and wisdom to know the difference. Finally, to find peace in this world. It seems to me essential that you know how to open yourself up to others, how to be in relationship with them especially with those who are different from you. And I believe it helps to be in relation with something more, with a higher power. We live in an increasingly diverse nation, and it remains to be seen how this American experiment is going to turn out. We all need to be working on our intercultural competence, getting better 
at being in places and being with people who cause us to stretch and grow. And we could stand to work on our spiritual competence too, developing a language of reverence, finding ways to be in touch with and be supported by that power that is greater than ourselves, to trust that what Whittier wrote is true. The letter fails and systems fall and every symbol wanes. The spirit overbrooding all, eternal love remains. This is our universalist faith, and our world needs it these days. As I mentioned before, the poet Naomi Shihab Nye, I think I said she was born to a Palestinian father and a, an American mother. She writes about how September 11th was a tragedy not just for Americans, but for Arabs and Muslims, too. In those weeks after the plane struck the towers and the Pentagon, she said she kept hearing the voice of her dear departed grandmother, who swarmed into my consciousness, poking my sleep and saying, it's your job. Speak for me, too. Say how much I hate it. Say, this is not who we are. This is a voice I am hearing these days, too. The call to show up and speak up and say, this is not who we are. This is not how we are supposed to treat people in trouble, people who are seeking hope. Particularly this month, when we remember and celebrate the birth of Jesus in a stable because there was nowhere else to go. Before you know what kindness really is, Naomi Shihab Nye writes, you must lose things. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must see how this could also be you. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to gaze at bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for. And then goes with you everywhere like a shadow or a friend. My friends, my spiritual companions, let us in these days lean into what is real and let us not hold back. Let us practice living in the tension between what is 
and what is yet to be. Let us reach out our hands. Let us be kind. And let us trust that the Spirit overseeing all, eternal love, remains now and forever. Amen.